Happy New Year. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm sat opposite Andy Wood. Happy New Year to you. We're back after... There was a little bit of a break there. I failed to record any episodes when I was back in the UK due to a combination of logistics and shitness. To be fair, <laughs> to be fair, the one that I put out in your absence was... Uh, it's one a, of the it's finest. It's a stretch to call it an episode. One of the finest uh... ever done, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was... It was listenable. Mm. <laughs> Jerry's still out on that one. Definitely, definitely listenable. I can't believe that our, our current guest wasn't in that episode because everyone else I know in the world was. <laughs> it was overbooked. It's one of those times when you just like cast the net wide, expecting you're not going to get many yeses, and then everything comes back yes, and then suddenly you have eight people. In the I'd room. say it was the perfect number of cooks. <laughs> was it? Was, what was it basically? It was like a party at your house here, and you set a microphone in the middle. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I put a zoom on the middle of the coffee table, and then uh, I just said, "Let's talk about things you like in 2015." And yeah. it, had, it had that cool echo effect that all the best songs have. <laughs> you know when you buy like a high-end preamp and it has reverb settings, and one of them is Andy's living room. Yeah, uh, with yeah. The, with a microphone. Yes, yeah, so you get to hear about science, but from yeah. far away. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it sound more sciencey. <laughs> Hey, our guest today, uh, a former colleague of both of ours, both in the stand-up comedy world and the... Current colleague in the stand-up world. Stand-up, yeah. Okay. Uh, current colleague in the stand-up world, but also a former colleague in the writing on ridiculousness world. Indeed. Uh, and uh, and also a fellow Last Comic Standing alum. Indeed as well. Uh, and an excellent comedian. Thank you. Mr. Ryan Connor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. We've been trying to have you on the show for a while, and... We've all been in the wrong places, and now finally we've made it work. Yeah, we finally made it work. I think we screwed up your show schedule to make it happen, but uh, well, are you going to make it? I'll make it to my gig later. Okay, okay. You're, you've been gone for a month, and you just flew in last night, so you're still jet-lagged. I'm still a bit jet-lagged, oh, but uh, I've had coffee, and what better thing to do when you're in a slight state of jet lag than to do an hour's podcast and then drive straight to a gig half an hour away. Oh, I didn't. It's not even close. Where by. is it? It's in Culver City. Oh, geez. oh, I guess everything's half an hour away. So I was picturing that being like leaving <laughs> town for some reason. Um, hey Ryan. Hey Matt. Uh, this is a. Uh, actually, uh, before we get into the questions we normally ask all our guests, uh, firstly, I think just a, a mini moment of tribute to one of to Britain's foremost space scientists, uh, Mr. David Bowie. Yes, the 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 real Davy Jones. Yes, yeah. and then the the first Tom Jones too. Did you know that? What? That's the that's the biggest that's the biggest trivia. He was Davy Jones, you know, and then he couldn't do that because of the monkey, so he changed his name to Tom Jones. <laughs> I did not know. And that. then within like two or three weeks, Tom Jones released. It's not unusual. And he's like, all right, fuck. Let's go with the, let's go with bit number three. I didn't even know that it was because of the monkeys that he changed it. For, I just assumed he's he's the kind of guy who's such a performance. Mm-hmm. based guy such a performance artist that he would be like no I'm gonna have an alter ego I'm gonna be you know Bob Dylan's not gonna be Bob Zimmerman right. so I'm gonna be right just, I don't know yeah it, it, it seemed like I mean that seemed plausible too but at least that's the story he's always told and then the, the Tom Jones thing he told uh, on I think it was like Conan or something like in the early 90s yeah and then I was gonna be uh, John Lennon <laughs> <laughs> taken uh, 
<laughs> yeah, man, I've been listening to his music nonstop for the last 48 hours, yeah. and it, it hasn't gotten old. He's the best, man. And, and Charles me- Dickens? <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me think we should call we should call some, like, uh, worldwide holidays... I don't know what you call it, but like we should do preemptive eulogies for people that are still alive. Like decide, hey, pretend yeah. like Elvis Costello just died. Let's all have those forty-eight hours of like all, us all coming together and re-remembering how important that guy is. Let's say, pretend that will absolutely. I, Fuck I, you! Come on, no. But, but when Paul McCartney goes, or when Bob Dylan goes, it's going to John Madden. John Madden, of course. It was the one you just said before Dylan. Uh, when Paul McCartney dies, okay, yeah. it's going to be nuts. I mean, and it's going to be you know yeah. the same kind of like uh, one-upmanship on, on social media about yeah. what she meant to you. Not that it doesn't like I, I participated in that with Bowie because it's fucking. I don't even I don't even relate to his um, the the fact that he's like a champion of the weirdos. Like I don't consider myself that much of a weirdo, mm-hmm. but just purely on a musical level, so it's like a one-man Beatles. Like so much that's yeah. amazing. You can't you can't overstate how great that guy was. I, I just thought of some. Just on the subject of, of names that crossed with other people, this is something... I don't know if this is someone who even made it at all to the US, but friend of the show Nick Doody told me about this over the holidays. Uh, did did Alvin Stardust... Is that did, someone did who talk made... talk about... It sounds familiar. It might be from this podcast, though. Uh, was there a comic who went by Alvin Stardust? No, no, no. It was a musician, a singer, uh, sort of glam rock era. Okay. Um, uh He's sort of an, looks it's like got to come from Ziggy, look, he, right? The picture I'm seeing looks like a cross between Elvis and Ziggy Stardust era. Yeah, it was that sort of era. But uh, his real name was Bernard William Jury. Uh, and he's, according to Wikipedia, this is what's bizarre about this. But, by the way, no, that, that, that last name is spelled the way it sounds like Jury. Like, yeah, J E W R Y. Like the way people who, <laughs> you would think that there's a conspiracy with Yeah, yeah. Jewry. They blame it on the international Jury. <laughs> yeah. But here's what's really weird about him. So he was known professionally first as Shane Fenton and then as Alvin Stardust. And according to Wikipedia, he did not originate either of his stage personas, in both cases, taking these over from other artists. <laughs> it's it's the most bizarre thing. I like to see him in an interview though, and they ask him like, "Okay, so that you took that from Ziggy?" And he's like, "I've I've never heard of that." Just yeah. <laughs> David, who? So here's what happened in the early 1960s: Shane Fenton and the Fentones were an unknown teenage band who recorded a demo tape and mailed it to a BBC program to hope in hopes of being picked on television. While awaiting a reply from the BBC, the band's 17-year-old singer Shane Fenton whose real name was Johnny Theakston, <laughs> died as a result of the rheumatic fever he had suffered in childhood. Fuck. The rest of the band decided to break up, but then ex- unexpectedly received a letter from the BBC inviting them to come to London to audition in person for the programme. Theakston's mother asked the band to stay together and to keep its name in order of her son's memory. <laughs> Jury, who was a roadie with the group at the time, was asked to join the band and to use Shane Fenton as a pseudonym. This is, I'm already lost. Is there? This is like the the fourth season of Lost now. This, this, <laughs> yeah, this, so I many. Understand what's happening. Yeah, there's so many pseudonyms on top of pseudonyms. Uh, the couple had a the the combo had a handful of hits in the UK. Um. Uh, Jury also later appeared in Billy Fury's movie Play It Cool. He was then ma- it was managed by Larry Barnes. Okay, that looks like a thing that was added by Larry Barnes to it his does. bio. <laughs> <laughs> Last uh, sentence on that. Then, then he disappeared from the spotlight for a decade after the breakup of the Fentones, working in music management and performing in small venues. Uh, until the groundswell of <laughs> until, yeah. until the public outcry <laughs> for the return of Jewelry required him to come out of uh, hiding. 
I'm so lost. I have no idea what's happening. I don't know either, but I love all of it. There's so many Nick... Yeah, during the early 1970s, however, he acquired a new persona, Alvin Stardust, clashing in on the glam rock bandwagon. His new name was given to him by Peter Shelley, the co-founder of Magnet Records. Shelley originated the persona of Alvin Stardust, writing, (laughs) recording, and singing the first Stardust single, My Kukachu. Can you... (laughs) My Kukachu? But he had no interest in performing live or making public appearances. What? So as as the How song was Wikipedia page. Yeah. So as the song was climbing the charts, he was on the lookout for someone to take over the role of Alvin Stardust. So this is like Tony Clifton crossed with Ziggy Stardust yeah. crossed with Brian Wilson. <laughs> right. So many levels yeah. of like persona rap. He he took over two personas, both both of guys, which were pseudonyms and, of existing, and then has no desire in performing. So no. So Alvin well, Stardust guy, didn't want to no, be a no, performer, no. but. Shelly, who originated Alvin Stardust, didn't want to <laughs> yeah. sing My Kukuchu, even though My Kukuchu was a hit. So, so he was this looking guy, for someone this guy was a hit, but he didn't want to perform it live, so, so he just Jury, gave it to oh, this other guy. Jury is like, hey, Shelly, I'll take over Alvin Stardust and <laughs> sing My Kukuchu for you. Well, since you're able to decipher that, can I uh, read this... This British sentence I was sent today because I have no idea what it means. Who, who sent it so, to you? So, okay, we're having a guest on the show. Uh... He's on ridiculousness. Uh, yeah, on ridiculousness. He's he, he's this little British guy. We used a couple of his clips on the show, and he's ridiculous. Okay. And so Rob, I think, jokingly said we should have him on the show. And then the people at MTV were like, "That's great." So, <laughs> so now we have an 18 year old guest who works in retail. And, and so to, to, to bring the listeners in, on, this is a clip show, yeah. and usually you'll have a celebrity guest, and you'll, you'll look at funny videos from from the web. But th- in this case, someone had enough of those funny videos that made it out of the show. They said he should also be on the couch as an actual right. guest instead of like a ex- Chanel Iman or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But they're like uh, un- all unintentionally funny. Yeah. And um, so I had to build an episode around him. So I had to find seven interesting things to talk about. But, you know, he's, he's a kid who lives with his parents and he, he just got his first job in retail. And... <laughs> And we're like, where do you work? And he's like, I don't, I can't say. I'm still in my probationary period. So, so, so he's like, he's gonna be a guest on the same show that like Fifty Cent was just on, that Larry King was on and last Larry season, King. right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just saw a picture on his Instagram where he's he's dressed as a rat. He has like rat makeup on. I'll show you the picture. That adds to it. Doesn't really do anything for the the listeners on my podcast. I call them viewers. Um, but that, okay? okay. So this is the picture. It's just, it's. A, I've seen this guy's. Work. I think I've described it well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You have that pins and needles thing, the dubstep thing. Or I, is he the guy who's the meme of of someone who's like holding something in and his veins are pulsing out of his forehead? Is that him? Different or guy. Not? Looks similar. Okay. Mil- yeah, it's. But yeah, this guy. Uh, well, I'll send you some links after. Okay. So okay. so what's the sentence? So I, I asked what the backstory for that was. He responded, so the, the 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 grammatical error came from him. This was took in December when I played the evil king rat in my local pantomime for the show Dick Whittington. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is There's that? There's a lot going on that sentence. In my local pantomime. Okay. <laughs> what? Is okay. I actually had to... I had to. I, fuck, I actually you had a whole tell us bit a story about your local pantomime. Explaining we've, what a pantomime yes, is to Americans <laughs> on this podcast. Oh, we have talked you, about this on America. You've, you've told us. Yeah, uh, if probably you wanna, three years ago. If it I was the Humphrey Carr episode. Oh yeah, Humphrey Carr yeah. and Brian Cook. I think was the other guest. I think that and and fancy dress parties were like things that had to yeah. be explained. So pantomime, <laughs> unlike 
in America where the word pantomime means what we would just say mm-hmm. mime, as mm-hmm. in just Americans will call a pantomime like that thing where you pretend to pick up a phone and put it to your ear. He pantomimed a phone. Right. It's like charades. Yeah. Pantom- yeah. <laughs> uh, in Britain, a pantomime is a type of show and it's seasonal. They're normally they're around the Christmas period. They happen in every regional theatre around the country because they basically subsidise everything else they do for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And they are... I think they're based... I think they... I think what it is is it sort of grew out of Commedia dell'arte from 200 years ago. But it's this big family show and it's interactive and there are like uh, tropes and standards and like certain catchphrases that are in every every one of these things... Uh, there's there's always a bit where someone's the baddie is sneaking around behind the goodie and and the audience shouts he's behind you and they look around too late and it sneaks off again uh, and they're, they're like oh no he isn't is another catch there's always and there's the pantomime dame which is always older men in drag and then the hero for some reason is nearly always a young woman dressed as a boy. Uh, and this all makes sense somehow. This yeah, does, and, yeah. and they're all themed around certain stories. And there's there's like I don't know ten traditional pantomimes. There's like there's man, man's in humanity, man, yeah. man versus nature. So Dick Whittington, boy meets Dick girl. Whittington is one girl of them, girl. which is I think the story of some boy going to London to make his fortune. I think that's what Dick Whittington is. And there's uh-huh. a cat involved as well somehow. <laughs> uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cinderella is one of them. Uh, but different takes on them or the actual regular stories we know? The regular st- with With, like, you can't see a dwarf. <laughs> the dwarf's behind you. And then yeah, yeah. And there. <laughs> there's always... I mean, the, the, this show, the shows last for, like, three hours or something ridiculous. They're, like, oh. they're long shows. And they have song... It's, there's lots of song and dance numbers. And they normally crowbar in modern songs now as well. Wait, how My much- sister was in one. Did we talk about this on the show last I time? Can't. It's been a long. My sister. I just realized so the show's been going four years now. So uh, I, I, all bets are off, listeners. I apologize if we repeat stories. It's how been much too long. Do, do you think gun violence would drop in the United States if every community had a mandatory <laughs> local pantomime? <laughs> I think this country would be so much more quaint. Everyone would be like, "Yeah, you're right. We, let's just let's just fucking laugh and say someone's behind you." <laughs> uh, <laughs> It really does. Yeah, it feels like a need that we all have deep down. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're suppressing it. We're like, no violence. Violence uh, is better. Um, <laughs> we uh, wait, does, does Punch and Judy it? fall into this? That's puppets, right? Or, yeah, well, that's pu- it's that's a different. It's a different thing. Yeah. A puppet, a Punch and Judy show is a, a puppet is different from a play. <laughs> <laughs> but a Punch and Judy show is a is a one person puppet show. Like one one person's operating it okay. in a little pop up booth. Mm. Like the classic thing is a sort of, it's like it's almost like a cubicle shaped tent a kiosk. That's an old Roman yeah. thing, right? Doesn't it go back like that far? Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> that's how much we've always loved spousal abuse. <laughs> <laughs> so pantomime, um, the one my sister was in, they did Snow White and Seven Dwarves. Yeah. But here's the two things I didn't realize. Firstly, uh. Little people actors are at a premium at Christmas. I mean, that's... And so they couldn't afford... This was not a high-budget production. And also, the other thing I didn't realize is that the dwarf names are copyrights of Disney. Uh 
Like the traditional, because oh, the story, probably the traditional have, story, they yeah. didn't have names, or maybe it's like they the did have names. Names ah. were added pretty late in the Santa Claus myth, I'm sure, and in, in maybe just for for the song Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. I right. think you're right. Already, some of them were certainly Rudolph was an addition. Yeah, um, and so yeah, the, so what they did was they got ten year old girls <laughs> with theatrical no. ambitions and put them in fake beards and a hat. <laughs> And gave them vaguely similar names, like Medic. lazy and <laughs> cheery, clunky, <laughs> yeah, like the Lazier. virus, like yeah. chronically fatigued. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we said. And it had um, <laughs> come over here, Aspergers. <laughs> <laughs> it had who was in her hands? They had lightning from the English version of Gladiators. <laughs> they had they had some guy from Home and Away. And Anne Nolan, the least well-known of the Nolan sisters, the Irish singing group. I, I, I picture it. I didn't know they did English gladiators. I picture them being more like in like, like the physiques of like 1970s professional wrestlers uh, was, than, than bodybuilders. Am or I like, correct? Or like bare-knuckle boxers from yeah, yeah, punch yeah. cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> they have like it waxed was, mustaches and unitards. And, yeah, that's exactly what. <laughs> no, it, was a very, it was a very similar show. Okay. It was basically the same. Speaking of, speaking of stories we've told many times, I, d- I did tell you that I now go to the same gym as Nitro, didn't I? Have I said that on this podcast? <laughs> How did you figure that out? It took me the longest time. Like, I would be in class with this super jacked guy who was probably like in his mid-50s, and I was like, who is this guy? I think he was like a tough in Die Hard. I think he was like a henchman uh-huh. in some action movie. I know him from something. And then like one day... Um, he turned wh- up in his... <laughs> One day Gladiators unitard. When they in a workout, we were doing like you know jump rope as part of CrossFit sometimes, uh-huh. and like you have to do like double double unders where you do two yeah, things yeah. with every jump. So it's like a certain number you have to do it. I was trying to do them as fast as possible, and it's a packed gym, so it was too close. And my rope hit, hit his rope and fucked up his rhythm, and I got glowered at by this guy. And I was like talking to someone afterwards. I'm like, that was kind of scary. Like that guy gave, and, and, and he was like, well, yeah, you know. Nitro is kind of scary. I'm like, Nitro! That's, <laughs> oh, right. That's right. It's Nitro from American Gladiators. And he's actually a good guy. I like him. I like him now. <laughs> I mean, I still liked him then. It's just in case he's listening. No, he's a great he, guy. Have no, you worked he, out, by the way, who this mystery celebrity next door neighbor no, is? No, there's still no idea next door who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. Don't know. Um, hey, Ryan, we always ask our guests this before we get into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? Uh, and, it, and it could be a simple nothing as a cl- formal. I did some like programming and stuff like that, and I just read a lot. I'm just really into different science fields. Yeah, what? Uh, Fair enough. What did you have to do any courses at school or at college? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was a computer science uh, major briefly, and then minor. Um, I, I took a couple semesters of chemistry and. Uh, yeah, and then I, you know, I learned uh, C plus plus, HTML, Java, Cold Fusion, and then before that, um, just like just when I was in high school, Cold Fusion is another programming language. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's a, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, like for commerce and stuff. You know, like I went that. to the underground volcano university <laughs> of secrets. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's the only uh, um, like formal stuff. Do you remember if you had to? I could read it. I you can't could, write you, it. You couldn't. Write I can it, read write it. And, I can read it and tell you what. It, I mean, I could write very basic C plus plus, very basic. And there would be some. Uh, and there would be some compilation. HTML errors. is pretty would, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was. I can read all. The I others, was four, but, fifteen years ago. I was Java certified, but I yeah. If I looked at some code, I could maybe tell you what it does, but I, I couldn't remember the, the the slightest thing about uh, 
object oriented. I, I guess I well, I, I, I could conceptually explain what it means, maybe, but I don't know if I could do any. Yeah. There's no language right now I could do anything useful in. If someone said you have to code something yeah. right now, I don't think there's me any. either. I, and I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so I mean, glad. It'd be kind of cool to brain. still have that skill set. Like all that all that time and money that went that's, into that. That's true. Everything is everything is graphic based now. It's like you don't. I mean, unless you're making like a functional application. I don't yeah, think that's you really true. need it anymore. That's true. I think I don't. I don't want to brag, but I think I can still hack into a mainframe from a nearby van. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do that. Yeah, but Just the we're in. <laughs> we're in. <laughs> that's all. That's all it takes. Have you ever seen? Um, Hang on. What's this dog called? <laughs> I, um, I have you ever heard of Andy Sedaris? Uh, is it Andy Circus David Sedaris uh, mashup? No, this dude. Uh, he was a he's a former director. He did like award shows and stuff like that. Okay. And then he decided, you know what? Me and my uh, Playboy playmate wife are going to make B movies. And Excellent. my favorite one is this movie Guns. It's is Erica. It Str- it's no, it's an S, <laughs> okay. unfortunately. But it's Erica Strada, Danny Trejo. A bunch of Playboy playmates and penthouse pets, and uh, some other like you know goofy like '80s hunk type guys. Mm-hmm. He made twelve movies, right? Some they're all sequential. However, he uses the same actors, and sometimes they're different characters from movie to movie. <laughs> so sometimes you're like, he just killed his partner, and they're like, oh no, he's a different character in this movie who dresses the same, right? <laughs> but there's there's one. Uh, I think it's the. Dallas connection or it might even be in guns but they're trying to they're trying to hack into it. it's like an old 386 and uh it's it's the exact same thing they turn it on and he presses like four keys and he's like all right we're in all right we're in it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh and then oh fuck what's the other one um oh god damn it Remo Williams Remo Williams is a hilarious computer hacking scene Remo Williams this is another Andy sure. Sedaris film. This isn't Andy Sedaris. I can't remember who Remo Williams is, but I think uh, Wolford Brimley's Are we in talking it. about Remo, William, Remo Williams colon The Adventure Begins from 1985? Yes, that one. <laughs> that one. Hilarious hacking scene where, where it's like... Oh, Fred Ward. Oh, he, fuck yeah. It's like he presses one to two keys, and then it's like a whole slew of information. One to two keys, another. <laughs> it's amazing. This is great. I, I got to check this out. Yeah, Fred Ward, Wilford Brimley. That's a that that right there. I'm in. Two of the first three names. Uh, Is it Brimley with a mustache or without? We'll have to figure out. That's, you know, that's Brimley might even be the hacker out. in it. I can't remember. Oh my god, I think he is actually. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, should we get into a story? Sure. Do you want me to kick it off? Yeah. We have so many. Uh, by the way, listeners, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us through the break and continuing to email in stories, even though we haven't put out episodes. We've got a, we've got so many stories to try and get through. Yeah, and so many people to thank um, as far as donations, which we will get to in a little bit. But um, yeah, there, there are a bunch of things that are interesting. Uh, there's one that's like, this is just like a pop science, maybe, or just nightmare fuel that I think everyone saw on their Facebook feed when it happened. Is this um, the lion? Yeah. Is that okay if we start with that one? We can. I mean, it's kind of a visual thing, but well, it's not <laughs> what, that. What is it? Uh, did you hear about this Idaho mountain lion that uh, was Oh, was yeah. Shot? You did. God. You yeah. did. Okay. Oh, it's freakish. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a mountain lion that had teeth growing out of its forehead facing the opposite direction from its face. Uh, it was a mountain lion killed in Idaho that had, yeah, a fully formed, a set of fully formed teeth growing out of its forehead. It was legally shot dead by a hunter on December 30th. 
And they said the teeth could be the remnants of a conjoined twin which died in the womb or possibly a kind of tumor. Biologists in the region have never seen anything like this, particularly deformity before. What kind of uh, special bullet did they have to use to... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't believe they had... Yeah. Whatever precious metal bullet on hand was needed. To- <laughs> yeah, and and when you're listening, you don't want to just try to picture what Andy's saying. You're gonna want to pause it and yeah. Google this. Yeah, because well, it's one of the on weirdest the, um, things you will ever see. We put links always on probablyscience.com, and also I think the links are embedded in uh, iTunes. Yeah, if you listen oh, on wow. your phone, if you just tap on the image, it should show all the show notes with with clickable links embedded within. Um, but yeah, so the lion was hunted after it attacked a dog near the town of Weston, Idaho. The Did dog- it attack that dog forward or backwards? Exactly. <laughs> You know, <laughs> this is uh, what's the two? Is is there a two headed dog in Greek mythology? Is that a thing, Cerberus or uh, something? Or? It is, yeah. I think Cerberus is a three headed dog, okay. I well, this is close a, enough. This is a one and a half headed cat, so it's <laughs> yeah. like some proportion of that. I don't know what the ratio is, the exchange rate between those. Uh, the dog survived, but a hunter set off in pursuit and killed the big cat a few hours later. <laughs> a conservation officer checked the lion's body as required by law and found the set of teeth as if it takes checking. Like, you yeah. see this picture, it's like, let me check this to see. <laughs> as well as what appeared to be a set of whiskers on the left side of the animal's forehead. Ugh. Uh, mountain lions, a species of a native species of big cat, are relatively common in Idaho. They are elusive animals which seldom come into contact with humans. They're territorial and require large swaths of wilderness to thrive. Oh, man. Um, Cerberus is normally, but not always, described as three-headed with a serpent for a tail with snakes protruding from various parts of his body. This is not a looker, as far as dogs go. No. Uh, (laughs) I was having a debate about centaur versus minotaur versus fawn, I think, which we talked about in the podcast, I know. But I I forgot, I, I always forget which is, which top is the... Yeah, well, which, which is which? But then I was it was at a diner and like some super nerd sitting at the table adjacent like oh. chimed in to answer the question like no dude we were fine with figuring out on our own. I'm pretty <laughs> sh- I'm pretty sure again I know we've talked about this already. Uh pretty sure Minotaur is uh human only in the legs and up top it's a bull and that's like something that guarded some labyrinth maybe. I think and that's a right. centaur is human head and arms and maybe still two or four legs of uh Whatever it is. Bull or something. Bull or something, yeah. A centaur is horse. Centaur is horse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I can picture me writing the show notes for their past episodes. I apologize for the repeat info on this. But uh, again, four years in, we're going to double back on stuff. It's unavoidable. Hey, uh, while we're talking about weird animals, I kind of want to do this, the 3D um, vision of... uh, Insects spraying manti? Yeah. I don't know who sent this story in. Um, I will find it while you are talking about it. What is it, if you want? Uh, you can, although I should have got this loaded up before. I, I think this was, okay, this is from Tom Drummond. He sent in a few stories. Tom Drummond, a um, loyal listener, sent in a story about the fact that a recent study shows that insects use 3D vision. They did they did the study by actually fitting them, literally fitting them with tiny 3D glasses. <laughs> Um, they took praying mantises, uh, fitted them with with these 3D glasses to prove that, that they do actually use 3D vision. Uh, they're especially designed, the, the old school ones, not not the current ones that you would see that involve polarization. Um, they just are the ones that have two different color lenses. So this, this experiment began almost two years ago. And uh, most studies about 3D vision involve vertebrates, but the research showed that mantises, which are invertebrates, could be tricked into believing an image of a bug 
was real, causing them to pounce. Here's a picture of it, by the way. It looks adorable of a it's really praying mantis wearing 3D glasses with a big two different colored things. Oh, on. that's beautiful. Yeah, it's the sort of red-blue, but I think in this case they used uh, gr- green. Yeah. And green and purple. Purple, green, like. and blue as Maybe the two lenses. because of whatever colors that they, their eyes best right. respond to. Sure. Yeah, for, for those people who don't know, every method of 3D glasses or 3D pictures... They all work by, in one way or another, making sure both eyes see slightly different pictures. Right. Um, from different... So, the, I mean, st- the way stereoscopic vision works in general is the nearer something is to your eye, the more different the view is from both eyes, if that makes sense. So, something if you hold your finger very close to your eye and look at it from one eye and the other, you'll see it really moves from left to right. But if you hold it at a distance, yeah. that changes smaller <laughs> just reminding me when i saw force awakens it, it was a uh, opening night at the arc light and one of the th- 3d theaters i guess was having problems with the projector or something so just hordes of people coming out saying some version of oh the shit's all fucked up shit's not working like you know no information right it's just yeah. ah, it's shit, just ah, it's broke it's broke these glasses they're like blaming on the glasses like it can't be the glasses. It's yeah. just two pieces of film. Those glasses are pretty standard across. Yeah. Every kind of- so then this guy comes out. I know who's a physicist, and uh, he comes out and just calmly he he comes up to me. I'm like, "Are you in that theater?" And he goes, "Yeah, but there's a problem. the uh, the The fields are inverted." I'm like, ah! "Oh, okay. <laughs> like, Interesting. Just took, just things are supposed physicist. to be coming towards you or going away from you." Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, they, I guess. Something was backwards with the projector. So your your right eye is seeing what your left eye should see, and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, he yeah. was he was like, yeah, just flip the glasses, flip the glasses over. Upside and it was down. Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the way the way the the old color three D glasses work is just one one lens filters out nothing but one color of light. The other filters out nothing but the other color of light, and right. so it makes both <laughs> of those eyes see different things. So they did that to these mantises. And, uh, yeah, if, if they had those glasses on and they showed them an actual 3d image, then, uh, they could have them pounce by seeing the image of a bug mm-hmm. in 3d indicating they perceive it to be real. And if they showed it in 2d, they ignored it. So like the difference yeah. in how they reacted showed that they must've been doing some actual stereoscopic processing of that image. Um, wouldn't you also figure that if they're just not like running into shit all the time? Well, no, like except they're... for moths, moths don't have eyes at all, right? And then and, and there are other ways to detect depth. Uh, I mean, for example, I, I'm pretty sure they've tested for this that mantises don't do that, but echolocation is one yeah. way, for example. That... True. Yeah. Um, and fine. And I, I, when I was reading this, I was like, well, wouldn't you assume any animal with two eyes has stereoscopic vision? And then I remember there are tons of animals that are more prey than predator, and in general. If you're a predator, your eyes are towards the front of your head. If you're prey, yeah. they're towards the sides. You can cover more. So think about a bird that has eyes on the side of its head. Obviously, if there's no overlap in those two fields of vision, there's no stereoscopic vision. It's right. just getting flat images right. in both directions. And, so Right. And in humans, someone pointed out one time, like Tracy McGrady. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's prey. Like, he was so soft. His eyes are on the sides of his head. Tracy McGrady, me, the basketball player. I can't picture. He was he was constantly injured. And, and someone pointed out, it's like, oh yeah, if you look at his, his eyes, eyes, he has the kind of he has the eyes of prey. They're they're so spread out. It's kind of wall-eyed, I mean, not wall-eyed, but yeah, spread out. But Britney Spears' eyes, those weird wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, 
never noticed that. Uh, uh, it, this is a little detail that I think is it's really sweet. So they attach the tiny 3D glasses to the mantis's eyes with beeswax. Oh, it's just like oh, all the insects working yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, let's pull together on this one, guys. <laughs> these really are some cute pictures. These praying mantises with their little glasses on. They seem like they're into it. They don't seem like they're mad at all. They seem like pretty chill. Right. Like these are like cool dude mantises with right. mantis sunglasses. And then they had a bath and a thimble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a mantis with like Kanye sunglasses. You know those ones that aren't like sunglasses, but just right. those just like level or blinds or whatever. This is the coolest mantis. So, uh, yeah, the, t- the team will now... Um, and Did I mention what where this is being done? I don't think I got to that part yet. Uh, the study leader, Jenny Reed, professor of vision science, said, despite their minute brains, mantises are sophisticated visual hunters, which can capture prey with terrifying efficiency, and we can learn a lot by studying how they perceive the world. Better understanding of their simpler processing systems help us understand how 3D vision evolved and could lead to possible new algorithms for 3D depth perception in computers. Uh, the team will now continue the research to better understand how human vision evolved and develop new ways of adding 3D technology to computers and robots. I still didn't say where the study happened. Oh, Newcastle University, I believe. Is it? Did I? Oh, yes. Yeah, Newcastle University. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Good work, guys. Good work on the 3D mantises. Go magpies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do we fancy going through the big, the big explanation slash correction slash... The wine thing? The wine thing. It's pretty elaborate. Um, it really is. But well, uh, a listener, uh, listener Andrew Davey, who's uh, from Melbourne Polytechnic, who is a, a winemaker, a commercial winemaker for an education institute. Uh, the Cole Stratton episode, which we did just before Christmas, we talked about uh, something about putting copper coins in wines to get rid of the sm- uh, off smell. Not if, you mean if it's gone bad. Yes, yeah. but not if it's corked, I guess. And that's what uh, this listener wrote in to sort of explain the difference between these various ways that things can go wrong with wine. Uh, shall we do it? Sure, why do not? strap we, in? Well, so this is Andrew's whole explanation. Um, so the story talks about thiols in wine as a wine spoilage problem. And this statement is slightly misleading for a couple of reasons. Firstly, during wine production, winemakers will use copper sulfate in air to stop a wine from producing hydrogen sulfite aromas prior to bottling. So it's very unlikely commercial wine will have simple sulfide reduction aromas when it reaches the consumer. If they are present, then simple aeration, which is just letting the wine Mm. breathe, will rectify this issue. The article seemed to imply that reduction aromas will develop with an open bottle over time, and this is not true at all. In fact, the opposite will happen. Reduction aromas smelled by a consumer are far more likely to be complex sulfides, such as dimethyl sulfide, which gives an overcooked vegetable aroma. Complex I, sulfides. I, can, I don't think overcooked vegetables is a thing that I can conjure up <laughs> I know, as a yeah. mental well, that's image. You didn't grow up in Britain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can conjure it up. I, I almost can't not conjure that smell up. Uh, complex sulfides cannot be oxidized with copper, such as with a coin. In fact, they are harder to get rid of, which is why the consumer can detect them because the winemaker couldn't get rid of them. Uh, there are also a few questions about corked and spoilt, so I thought I would make that clearer too. There are a few different types of spoilage that can be categorized as follows. Corked. Most commonly, uh, trichloroanisole, which is TCA, is a wet hessian bag smell. This is a reaction between the phenolic compound in real cork and chlorine. You can, however, find it in wine not exposed to cork, and I often smell it in cheap brie cheese and heavily chlorinated water. 
What is a hmm. wet Hessian bag? Uh, like a sack, like sackcloth. Okay. You know, like, that, like the Hess would care. Right. It's yeah, also yeah, a smell uh, that you're very familiar with if you grew up in Britain. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you keep your overcook- overcooked vegetables in wet Hessian bags? Yeah, okay. you know, yeah. Yeah, any, any street urchins will be still <laughs> clad in that. <laughs> uh, there are also some much rarer corked reactions, such as 3-octanone, but this is far harder to convince the wine waiter about. Uh, <laughs> then, oxidation. There are three main types which occur mostly through micro- microbiological means. This is what happens when you leave the wine out for a few days. Although I have purchased wine that is oxidized as soon as I open it. Uh, first spoiler step. Acetylhyde. Uh, acetaldehyde? Acetaldehyde. There Maybe? we go. I don't, mm. Nutty brown apple skin character. I smell this in the compost bin a lot. <laughs> second stage. Microbiological, which is acetic acid, brackets vinegar, and ethyl acetate, which is nail polish remover. Uh, there are other, some other types of spoilage, but I don't want to bore you too much. <laughs> Lastly, with respect to coal sulfur reactions, sulfur dioxide is added to wine as a biocide and as an antioxidant. Free sulfur dioxide reacts with oxygen, amongst other things, to prevent the primary stages to spoilage, which is the acetaldehyde, and biological spoilage, such as bacterial spoilage, that produce the acetic acid and the ethyl acetate. Uh, so basically stops it from going vinegary. Uh, it causes respiratory reactions in some people. It's used in many food applications such as chips, canned food, and dried fruits. Maybe a better hack would be to use a dried apricot, brackets high amounts of sulfur dioxide, as a spoilage preventer in wine, which would double as an easy flavor descriptor to appease the wine snobs. I kind of like that Strong idea. Strong apricot notes. Who doesn't like a dried apricot? That's great. And he, and he finishes by saying, thanks for the podcast, and if we're ever in Melbourne, we get a tour of the winery. Thanks, Andrew. I'll take him up on that oh, sometime. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That Again, was very thorough. Was very, yeah, was, <laughs> that's the kind of listeners we get. That's that was kind of amazing. That's great. That's great. I'm still not quite sure. Uh, I don't even remember what the, in the story which problems the penny was supposed to solve but is he saying there's really no he said the problem is meant to is meant to solve this very the problem these very simple uh sulfites which not is corking um not... hydrogen sulfide there we go uh but it's apparently uh hydrogen sulfide is almost always removed from commercial wine before bottling oh, okay okay and even if it isn't a couple of like a short amount of time exposed to wear, and that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the copper in wine is don't don't shove coins. Stop dropping filthy <laughs> coins into your wine, people. Although uh, if it's if it's ruined at this point, if it's uh, so bad you don't want to drink it, why not go for broke and throw whatever you want in there and see if it right, makes right, yeah, right. check everything. Right, exactly. in there. What's what's to lose? Yeah. Tea bag it. Tea bag yeah, your yeah. wine and see if it improves. Steep it. Or either of you able to identify like all the no. properties people can pick up in wine? Because to me, it's it's good or bad. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what, and, and I think most studies have. Sh- we talked about that in the last episode. That uh, a lot oh, of times, the blind studies, they've done things where they've tried to like trick wine experts by having the white wine. It's just mm-hmm. tinted with dye, and they can't tell. Like, I, I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm sure there's counterexamples also. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if you like it, drink it. That's yeah. kind of. <laughs> like, I go through phases of beer, and uh, I don't know what makes me change my. Maybe it's just trends that I'm susceptible to, just the way you're susceptible to any kind of like trends and culture. Mm-hmm. But like when I was living in Portland, like 15 years ago, when I moved there. I feel like everything was about ales, was about like really hoppy mm-hmm. stuff. And like these days, I think 
I, maybe it's just me, but it seems like things like Stella, like fancier lagers and pilsners are getting more fashionable. And I kind of like that more now also. And I don't know if it's yeah. just because like ales are too heavy tasting for me. Or, I kind of, I, I like the fact that there's now loads of really good beers around, but I mm-hmm. don't necessarily like the ones like we shoved as much hops, hops in there as possible. Yeah, I don't like hops as much so anymore. There, there is we a, want to make your eyes close as you drink it. Yeah. Although, wait a second. As I say that, I, there's always time and a place, and I'm not just, they're not a sponsor right now, but I do love Lagunitas. I do love an IPA once in a while, but it's like, yeah. I, once in a I while, love when yeah. someone's trying to like beat you over the head with like, are you sure you can so, handle these hops you're about to get? Like, I can handle these hops. There, well, there, is a, there are some really strong, uh, there are some, some like really strong monk brew beers that are great because they have really good flavors but then favorites. there's others like this beer is 20 percent and yeah. it'll kill you is, right. uh, you, yeah. is it good though is there, it there is a slate article uh last week or two weeks ago it was by a, a beer reviewer and it was titled something like enough with the fucking hops guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was about like some friend visiting and like every option at like all the breweries they went to was like, well, this has 5 million pounds of hops. Yeah. Like everything was, was something that would just make you want to punch your leg, you know? But the interesting thing is I think, and listeners, if I'm wrong, please let me know. But uh, the reason that ales and, uh, so I think, I think the taxonomy in general with beer is that the top level, everything is either an ale or a lager. There's a few that are kind of straddling the line, but that's kind of the top level division, right? Hang on, isn't there, is Porter a different category? I think a Porter's within ale, isn't Yeah, it? I think I it is. I thought it's like, this is like the like Kingdom a, family. It's like a coffee ale or something like that? I think so. Okay, I, I could be wrong. The, I like but the I, taste of it. I, I think, think the reason fight. that uh, microbrews became more about ales than lagers is because ales are maybe fermented without refrigeration, so it's easier to do it without paying a lot for equipment. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if like, so then... Lagers became associated with being macro brews and being shitty, but it's like, well, no, people were just making ales in small batches because it's too expensive to make lagers because you have to have them be colder, Easier to th- store. which could be wrong. Because that, that's how IPAs came about, right? It was yeah, an because IPA they is were an ale, and it's yeah. yeah, it's a way of preserving it without right for for the passage to India or something, yeah, right? Like for exactly. the British trade routes, or I, I don't know. Hmm. I could be totally wrong, which is not how you should preface anything on a science podcast. No, that, that but, makes uh, sense. Though. I think it's how you should it's preface exactly everything on a science podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. So let me know if I'm wrong, listeners. I, I believe, I, I believe it's built into the very title yeah. of our show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What am I saying? It's been it's been a month. We're rusty. I don't know what I'm doing. Speaking of drinking, this is like this is a story that Matt and I were like, is this sciencey enough? But we'll rush through this one, so we don't have to be responsible if it's not the most rigorous science. Uh, there's a study in the University of Missouri trying to categorize the type of drunk personalities that exist like see if there are like categories you can put people into as far as what they become when they're drunk it does feel a bit like the scientific version of a 1980s larry miller bit it does it does (laughs) i'm out with my friends Remember that bit about like the progression of a night of drinking? No, I, I can't yeah. remember the details. It's not. <laughs> it's not something bit. where I remember the, the whole bit, but I remember the idea of it and seeing it on. Um, it was on stand up, stand up, or the A list, or something like that. He did it on the. It, it was one of those things. It was from yes, an HBO yes. special, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was an excerpted on a Comedy Channel thing in the eighties. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so this article was entitled uh, "Searching for Mister Hyde: A Five-Factor Approach to Categorizing to Characterizing Types of Drunks." The study asked 364 men and women to consider their behavior when sober and then again when drunk. The, light, the results were then evaluated for personality factors, including extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, intellect, and emotional stability when drinking. 
a surprisingly large number of people, four out of 10, fell into the, quote, Hemingway category, which was for people who apparently see very little decrease in either intellect or conscientiousness when drinking and are considered reliable and still able to process complex ideas and should be given license with exemptions to drive. No. Um, although one might have expected most of the respondents placed into this category to be men, perhaps on the basis of less than truthful or overinflated estimations of their drinking prowess, it actually was a very even split between men and women. So it's equal numbers of female Hemingways to male Hemingways. Um, men did dominate the nutty professor half category. Half half Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> men did dominate the nutty professor category, which was for introverts who become more extroverted when drunk and experience a decline in conscientiousness. One in five participants fell into this category. Uh, but women dominated the Mary Poppins personality, which is where <laughs> drinkers remain friendly, cooperative, compassionate, and agreeable. What does remain? Does that mean like See, become what, or remain? Here's what I hate already... about this kind of. This feels like this feels like science where they started with a press release and worked back to the yeah, study. Does yes, a little bit. Does a little and bit. what bl- r- really surprises me is that it isn't tied to a company because normally this feels like the kind of research that is done put up by Seagram's because yeah, like Thompson's Holidays wanted to get a. Fr- There's even there are companies that PR companies that now specialize in matching companies with someone who'll do some basic science. It'll be like, the the equation for the perfect trouser length has been discovered. Mm, oh, whatever. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. they just got some scientist who needed some cash and had a spare two days to write right. down some bullshit. And then this company gets easy copy that gets read out on every morning radio show and in like gets like a quarter page in various newspapers. And then that's a free advert for them. It goes like, the start... No. The 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 study by right. McVitie's biscuits or whatever. Right. Like it, right. Uh, to be fair, I did click through to the study just to make sure that it is. Yeah, this it is, is a put legit out study. By a university and and even in the introduction to this to the study results, they acknowledged that the sort of clickbaitiness that this might seem. Like the first lines is in the actual study is according to anecdotal reports. According to anecdotal reports, clinical lore, and internet articles like the 12 types of drunk people you'll encounter at a bar, the seven kinds of drunk people you'll find at parties, the nine types of... So they so acknowledge... This is they, they hedged like nine times in a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, is, this is like, these stories are bullshit, for there are only yeah. five types of drunks. We've, yeah. Well, they said we've, we, come, uh, we've collapsed the 12... The 12 BuzzFeed previously thought types of drugs <laughs> yeah. into five mathematically proven types. One and day we, we can find your pop culture figures. Right. <laughs> I hope they hope to one day find like the universal, like the one uh, governing law of drunks or something for them. You, what's the t- term for like, yeah, grand unifying theory, whatever. Uh, so the next sentence, they say, however, we have not been able to identify even a single empirical study designed to identify a quote types of drunks. The work on types of alcoholics, and they cited some, has found that dependent drinkers can differ in their typical levels of baseline personality traits. Uh, Such findings do not touch on individuals' differential expression of those traits while intoxicated. So maybe this is a first-of-its-kind study, even though they did then group those people into sort of pop culture things. Has the same uh, team of professional scientists worked out... uh Definitively, which Sex in the City character you are? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a Miranda question. Uh, so yeah, men dominated the Nutty Professor category. Um, <laughs> women dominated the Mary Poppins one. I think I'm a Mary us. Poppins. Yeah, which makes you r- remain friendly, cooperative, compassionate, and agreeable. But it doesn't like remain. I want to hear about whether it makes you into. Th- so it's saying they were already that. Okay, so 15 percent of drinkers overall fall, fall into Mary Poppins. 
Unfortunately for women, ladies also have a sizable presence in the Mr. Hyde group into which 23% of drinkers fall in total. Those are obviously uh, mm-hmm. less conscientious and intellectual when drunk and less agreeable too. They are apparently more likely to suffer memory blackouts or be arrested. <laughs> uh, the researchers hope they're findings... also more likely to be an allegory for the human condition. <laughs> oh my God. How do I not talk about what you're doing right now? <laughs> I know. How, how are do I not talk about what what's app happening? is that? Uh, That's amazing. I, it's, I know you wanted to not stop the show, I, but yeah, I this is your first time about... having a chance to use it. I've, I've used this once. Okay, so I've got, I got a, I found an app a while ago. <laughs> it's great. Blurt. It's, it's fucking great. It, the app is called Blurt, and it enables you to have large scrolling text on your phone, which I was trying to use to subtly signal yeah. to Andy that my gig is cancelled, yeah. so we now no longer have the but, tight yeah. time constraints. So, now all I want to do is tell the listeners where to get this app. Yeah, so. if your teleprompter breaks down. Yeah. yeah. What's it called again? Blurt. B-L-U-R-T. Blurt. And uh, I've used it before at the back of a gig to say something like, um, how long am I meant to be doing, or... Oh my god! I, this is this is a game changer. This is really cool. You can choose different colors of background and text, and it just gives you scrolling text. So I just had a text that says my gig is canceled. So now we can this show can run you as know, long. While you guys, while you're downloading this app, I got a uh, Hemingway drunk story. Okay. Yes. So I uh, this is about five years ago. I I had uh, all right. My friend Aaron um, on a vacation to Lisbon. She brought me back a bottle of port. Okay, I'd never had port up to this point. All I knew was that uh, Hemingway drank a bottle a night, something like really? that. Really, that's gross. That is, <laughs> yeah. And, port, if you for listeners who don't know, is a fortified wine. Uh, it's sort of an after dinner drink normally. It's fortified wine basically means wine with added spirits. Yeah, it, it's. So it's, isn't it also super sweet? It's very it's strong. Very sweet. It's sweet. It's delicious, right? It's like so. it's like sweet. It's like sweet red wine that's about twenty percent alcohol, okay. whereas most wine is between twelve and fourteen mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, that sounds right. Or eleven and, and fourteen. So I loved it, right? And you know, I was just okay. Then I had a show, right, at this place, and it was like, oh, um, I think they had like a kind of big wine selection, right? And I was about to go on. I think, by the way, there are drier versions of port as well. <laughs> sounds good. Anyway, okay. <laughs> It's not always sweet, but it is stronger than most wine. It is definitely stronger than most wine. Okay. So I'm about to go on at this show, and they're like, you, you want a drink uh, for, for the stage? And I was like, yeah, uh, can I have a port, please? I, you know, I never order in public. At home, I would drink it out of a coffee mug. Like, I, I didn't know how it was normally served, and this was handed to me as <laughs> I was being introduced, <laughs> and I didn't have a backup water or anything, so I had to carry it on stage. Port is served in... What could be described as like a, a fish bowl with a handle at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, it's the size of a human yeah. head. Is, it a, is that considered a snifter? What is that called? Yeah, well, it, I think it's so- just to really let the aromas kind of yeah. swill around. And, yeah. <laughs> I, and you were not wearing a crushed velvet. I was jacket, not. Like. It was bigger than any glass I've seen in my entire life. Like I, I could probably put my hand in like up to my elbow. <laughs> like to drink it, I had to tip my head all the way back to like where I was almost touching my back. And so, of course, I had to address that. I'm like, well, I'm not an asshole, guys. Yeah, I'm like, normally I drink it out of a fucking Garfield coffee (laughs) mug at home, so I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to look like an asshole up here. That's yeah. How do you at that point? I'd be like, just call it. Trying to like wave off the waitress as they're walking. No, no, no. (laughs) In too deep. Yeah. Some listener thought I was into fish bowls. I don't know what the. Yeah, what's your what's your stance on asking for drinks from from the stage, Matt? Are you above? 
in what sense? Like, I mean, like if I'm on, if if I'm on like a shitty string of one nighters or something, like if I you know triple runs, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Montana. Like I am not above just straight up saying, does anyone want to buy me a shot right now? We'll do it <laughs> on the stage. I don't do that because. You have a oh, higher, you talked about oh, yeah yeah you ha- you firstly you have a higher alcohol tolerance than I'm a, me I'm and a, also I'm a bit of a Hemingway yeah. I don't like uh, I don't like being drunk on stage or, or even like I don't like I don't like getting to the point where my speech is in any way slurred or my thoughts are impaired mm-hmm. so I'll take if I'm if I'm headlining a club I'll take my first drink of the night on stage for my for the final show of the night. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's a two show night, I'll take I'll drink water for the first show and then I'll take like my first beer. But then the reason why I don't tend to ask for drinks on the stage is depending on the kind of gig, some people in the audience then make it a sport to get the comic drunk because yep. they think that would be more fun yeah, than I like playing that sport. Yeah, <laughs> watching you do your material. So then they start sending up shots and then I'll be like, you, you you can do this, but what you're gonna do now is. You're not going to get a show unless the show you want is watching someone become more ill in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And That's... just going, but anyway, but <laughs> anyway, but anyway. <laughs> but it's definitely happened. The gigs I did, I did a run in Alaska last year, and there are a few of those nights where they definitely found it entertaining to just, like, what? That's the trouble. Once, once one person sends up a drink, then more people send up drinks, and then more people do, right. and then you're yeah, then you're like, all right, that's what's happening. So that I don't. It depends on the kind of gig because some gigs are like performances, and some gigs are babysitting. And when you're doing a babysitting gig, like yeah, I'll get drunk because who cares? Also, I do know gig, I like, do know certain comics who make it their business to find times during the set to do a shot with the audience because, oh, because the club loves that they're because yeah, yeah. the club is like when yeah. the comic goes like hey we should do a shot who wants to do a shot and then the club suddenly sells three thousand extra shots yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then like, sold out yeah yeah and then they're like yeah. that comic's more likely to get rebooked because they notice a very high spike in the bar tab of the audience mm-hmm. god shameless yeah i i can't do it i i don't know i, I kind of like mad i'm first i'm a lightweight i also don't like being impaired it, like I like being like a little loose. Like if I'm doing like a club weekend, I might have like a glass of wine before the first show, yeah, mate, or, or like bourbon or something, or like, and then maybe one between. But rarely uh, will I be on stage uh, with anything other than water. Is it? Yeah. And then the, the whole idea of buying people from the crowd buying them. I'm such a lightweight that if more than one person got me one, I would be drunk. Um, I'll do heroin with the audience, though. Yeah, yeah her- I mean, that's fine. I don't want you to think I'm a pussy. Yeah, I'll share a needle. <laughs> <laughs> that's common courtesy. You don't let someone do heroin alone. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I feel like this, there's a story that um, sort of ties back to something we've, we've covered before as far as innovations that are useful to men, uh, if you know where I'm heading with this man. <laughs> Does this involve switches by any chance? It does involve switches. It involves a very low-tech solution to an ancient... Uh, is it considered a problem? I don't know. Um, yeah, but... I'd say it's definitely considered a problem or an issue. An issue with a thing. An issue, no pun intended. To be, to be solved. Which or... thing are we talking about? We're talking here? about a German about carpenter the... who invented an on-off contraception switch for sperm. So instead of getting a vasectomy, you'll just have a switch. Shut the fuck up. You no, know, inside your... By the way, I was about Where's to... the switch? 
It's like a train track switch. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's more like a light. It's more like a um, like uh, like that switch on my um, on my, my, my power strip there. Yeah. I yes. was about to say, what does a what does a carpenter know about these things? And then I realized, well, there was one carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> he knew a lot. He knew a lot. He knew how to save the world. <laughs> uh, so yes, a German carpenter has invented a valve, which he, a valve which he claims will revolutionize contraception by allowing a man to turn the flow of sperm from his testicles on and off at the flick of a switch. Uh, Where do you keep the switch? We'll get to that. Oh, okay. Don't worry. There's pictures. (laughs) Again, visit probablyscience.com or click on the show notes to see links to these articles and and visualize where in your junk uh, the the switch is going to live. Clemens Bimek. Clemens Bimek, yeah. Told Spiegel magazine, the idea first came to him some 20 years ago when he was watching a television documentary about contraception and wondered whether it would be possible to control the flow of sperm with a simple valve. When he discovered no one had ever filed a patent for such a device, he decided to develop his own. Uh, It's to be implanted in 25 men in trials starting this year. Uh, Many of the doctors I consulted didn't take me seriously, but there were some who encouraged me to go on tinkering and helped me with their expertise. Now the valve he has developed is to be implanted in 25 men in trials starting this year. The tiny valves are less than an inch long and weigh less than a tenth of an ounce. They are surgically implanted on the vas deferens, which is the ducts that carry sperm from the testicles, in a simple half-hour operation. They are controlled with a simple on-off switch, with the ma- which the man can reach under the skin of his scrotum. What? So far, mm-hmm. BMEC himself is the only man who has had them implanted. He underwent- We have the technology. <laughs> we can rebuild him. He underwent the operation under a local anesthetic so he could help direct the surgeon. Oh my god. Such a carpenter. So, so, the, so the switch is on your taint. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. By the way, here's my worry. Your your like your balls a, can yeah, flick a, it. Yeah, but yeah. also, yeah, I, that's a nice bit to be involved when you. Yeah. You're I, like. I think when your lady friend gets to a point when she feels something. You're like, I don't, I'm enjoying this feeling, like, but don't touch the switch. Right. Right. You could literally turn me on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, also, I, yeah. Ugh, God. I, you know, I like the idea of this, but like, I, I don't like things to be in absolutes. Can I get just like a dimmer? Just a, sp- a sperm, <laughs> a sperm rheostat. I just want like a knob. I want to control the. Right. Why do I have to be absolutes? How about don't put it on my taint? I don't yeah. like. Can we can we put it put like it on the by, nightstand like, or, or something <laughs> and just do it via Remote Bluetooth <laughs> or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Anything. I don't want anyone like turning my balls on and off from my taint. Like where anyone else could just. How do you know? I I would want I would want an outside visual sign as to when it's been turned off and on as yeah. well. I want like a kind of green or a red light. Yes, yes. Like I a was... closed open sign. <laughs> Your balls I, should just glow green or red. Yeah, I yeah. I spent a month in London worried that I'd left the gas on. <laughs> <laughs> like I would be so nervous every time I had I sex that I'd left my sperm on. Like I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you you leave the house and you're just trying to check your taint for where your switch is. Yeah, it would be. So uh, I, I guess we haven't uh, gotten to the, the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, no, but it's it. But um, I do, you know, after you have a um, actually no, this ar- this article doesn't cover this. After you have a vasectomy, I think they even tell you um, you you shouldn't like go have sex right now because there still might be mm-hmm. some guys up in there between what was. So I wonder if there's like what the what the time is between flipping the switch and when you're actually safe. If you have to like unload a couple, with, not to be you, too. You definitely do because I know after a vasectomy, it takes a yeah. while for everything to get flushed yeah, out. Yeah. Um, so, Mister, Mister, sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, it's the same thing as you. Go ahead. Uh, 
so um, Hardwick Bauer, the urologist who carried out the surgery, told Spiegel that the valve was preferable to a vasectomy. A third of patients want to have the operation reversed later. Which is a high percentage. Higher right? than I'd have thought, That's... but it doesn't always work, he said. But other doctors have expressed concern over the new technology. Uh, Wolfgang Buhmann, who is a spokesman for the Professional Association of German Urologists, said, My assessment is that implanting the valve could cause scarring where it meets the vas deferens. This could prevent sperm from flowing even when the valve is open. He also warned that the valve could become clogged over time if left in the closed position for too long. Hey, you know what? I'm going to clean that out on the reg. No problem. No problem with clogs. I'm going to make sure it has adequate flow through this sperm line. I don't know who I'm uh, doing right now. I don't know what this is. Other implants made of this material have been well tolerated elsewhere in the body, said Annika Luz, head of the testing center for medical products in Hanover. The question is whether it would cause problems when it's implanted in this area. Because um, there was another story we covered a while ago, probably about a year or two ago, about there's something called Vasogel, which right. is another trial for a reversible, less intrusive, semi-permanent male contraception. And that one, if I remember rightly, works by... It like lines this, the, the walls of the vast deference and tears apart the sperm as they come through. Kind yeah, of, so right? it doesn't actually fully that block the tube. That sounds brutal. Yeah. Um, what it does, if I, if I remember rightly, it actually causes a slight electrical charge almost akin to when it, you rub a balloon on a sweater <laughs> is that what it, it was yeah so as the sperm run over it it, it causes an electrical charge and because sperm are very small and not and delicate cells yeah that's enough to kill them as it flows over but that's currently i think it's at the animal testing level it hasn't done any human trials it, yet so it, this gel is injected into the vest deference yeah. yes and it can then be also flushed out at a later date it is reversible can I tell you about another method of contraception that works 100% of the time? It's called abstinence until marriage. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if you uh, if you just I, mar- marry the, your Lord and Savior until you, uh, you know, you know where this is going. Yes. Yeah. It does work. It's never failed. Thanks. It's how's, never failed. How's your marriage going there, Ryan? Well, uh, which one? Uh, <laughs> yes. The one to my Lord and Savior or my wife? <laughs> going through a rough uh, patch with the yeah. Lord and Savior right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's the equivalent of like that footst- the footsteps in the st- sand story except yeah. about like oh. sleeping in separate beds or something? Like, hilarious. No, those sheets were definitely ruffled in the... <laughs> when there was just one set of footprints, that was when you came home drunk and you know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so would you would you get one of these? If, okay, if this were no. totally reliable... No, I, no. If it were totally reliable and uh, free... But you had to be the first one to get the second one to get it after this guy. I don't like the switch. I don't. I really yeah. don't. I would totally do the Vasogel one if once it gets to human, once it gets past human trials, once it's been proven mm-hmm. to work. That sounds great. That sounds like a a pretty much permanent but reversible, right? Unintrusive. Mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't like a taint switch. Yeah, I I do a patch it's, or a pill. That's it. It's yeah. It's just like. Uh, I feel like it should the switch idea I don't dislike, but um, it shouldn't even be accessible to you because it's not going to be an impulse kind of decision, right? You know, like if you're getting one of these, you're thinking I'm probably never going to have kids, right? Or else you wouldn't get this, and you're opening, you're leaving open the option that maybe down the road you'll make some big change life decision. So like a switch, like it just yeah. implies like week to week you might be like yeah, I've just, kids, yeah maybe I'll have this kids, week no yeah, kids yeah. next and week. And I've just like, realized what so you were weird. asking more about the flushing through. I, I didn't occur to me that every time you flip the switch, you then need to flush it out again. Like right after yeah. a vasectomy, it takes something like two weeks where you're still right. told to wear condoms. 
and yeah, take so at, other at that point i would say maybe make it something where there's like a uh a, like you said bluetooth but a thing that you'd have to go into the doctor they would have to maybe not intrusively but mm. like they could still get a device near there that would then open it again but i don't know why you'd ever need to have the switch unless you love the idea of having like one night stands that occasionally lead to kids for fun. Right. Like, like what, yeah, what's, what's the use it. case of this that you're like, sometimes I do want to put a baby in someone and then leave. Like, what's yeah, the, I, I like, I like gangbangs, but I only want to impregnate every other right. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, he's got a good idea, but I can't see what the use case that would drive you to get this would be exactly. Like I have a friend who got a vasectomy at 25, even though he wasn't even in a long-term relationship. So he was like, I don't want kids. I don't have to think about it. And if I do want to have kids later on, the chances of this be the reversibility is pretty high. It's not a hundred percent, but you know, you got to put some money in at that point, but hopefully by that time I have the money to also afford this child I want to raise. So I was like, oh, that's interesting way of looking at it. So yeah, it's also a fun financial goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> save up for my yeah, yeah. reversal. Yeah. So yeah, you can't have, you, we definitely can't have kids until I know I'm in a. I know I can afford to have kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we have time for one more? You think? Not I think we do. But we've got some people to thank as well. Oh, we've we, got yes. quite a lot of people. So probably science.com, where we ca- where we post our stories, also contains a PayPal link for donations. And because we've been away for a while, we've got a lot of people. Some of whom have been very generous indeed. That we appreciate everyone who's donated. Uh, Linda Moulton. Uh, very generous monthly donation. Thank you, Linda. And also Kate Lubiak as well. Thank you for your monthly that I was about I was oh that sounded so creepy. I was about to say thank you for your monthly generosity. And that just sounds, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so bad. Did you visit did you visit Nigeria and become royalty over the holidays? <laughs> that just sounds like that sounds like advertising euphemisms. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, your new monthly generosity. Thank you. Um, thank you, Brooks Gilmore, for your monthly donation that came through, and Ben Marriott, uh, James Cox. Thank you very much for your monthly donation. Paolo says Navarro, our old friend Paolo, uh, Alexander Dorr, uh, Lindsay Iserman, Caroline Laco. Thank you so much. Paul Freeland, Matthew Arnold, Anderson Jones, Robert Howley, Murphy Shane, Emma Wilton. Thank you, Justin Broad, who also sends in loads of stories and is. Uh, also a generous monthly donator donor uh <laughs> pandora young uh madison martinez and someone who's just on here as quip source sometimes it shows up as just the paypal user id and i'm like i can't see the actual name thank- i think that's someone who's also sent in stories and i can't cool remember. thank you whoever quip sources yes. and then also one-off donations a really generous donation from faud bacchus that's a very cool name and thank you for donating uh, Matthew Carter, thank you very much for your donation. Uh, oh, and big thanks to David Worth. That was very cool of you. And Willow uh, Naeko, uh, Emma Chulke, and that is all of our donations. Well, did you? Did you? Uh, I don't know if you listened through the end of the episode. You weren't here for. But I haven't got to that bit yet. Nobody. I mean, well, some people did. We were surprised if anybody would have because of how much crosstalk and drunkenness there was. Uh, but at the end of the episode, TJ Chambers said, "By the way, if any of you are still listening, email." And then he gave an incorrect email address and he'll give them a hundred dollars. And, uh, Emma Chalkley was that first listener to listen and email in. 
and we've made uh, friends and then enemies with the, the TJ Chambers who has the incorrect email address <laughs> because his inbox was flooded with people who, for some reason, listened to that entire episode <laughs> and shouldn't have. Uh, TJ Chambers, TJ Chambers 27 at gmail.com is what we should have said. If you want to email the TJ Chambers you heard on the podcast. Um, but we do appreciate how many of you actually suffered through that. And, uh, and, and it's cool that Emma took this money that TJ gave and then donated back half of it to us and half to Jesse versus cancer, which you guys should also be listening to at uh, jessevscancer.com yep. or look it up in iTunes. Um, and I think hopefully he'll be back here within a couple months after uh, he, he's closing out, I believe his last round of chemo, then he's going to have surgery again. I'm one episode behind. Um, but then hopefully we'll get him back on and hopefully we can have him uh, Skype in soon as well. That would be awesome. Big love to Jesse. Uh, other ways you can support the show if you are buying anything on PayPal. Uh, sorry, if you're buying anything on Amazon. Wow, it has been a while. Um, if you're buying anything through Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk or the Canadian version, uh, which I believe is just Amazon.ca, use our link. Go to probablyscience.com, click on the shop Amazon link and go through to there. Why not set that as your Amazon bookmarks? You don't have to remember to type it in each time. And every time you buy anything through there, we get a little kickback. We get a commission. It costs you no extra. Uh, that really helps us out. Um, and then the other way you can really support us, and I know those of you do, we really appreciate that, is to spread the word. Tell your friends, uh, tweet and Facebook nice things about us, and write us nice reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and all those things. And subscribe if you're not already subscribing. And did you have a good story queued up to finish us off to bring Ooh, us home? Got one last story for you, courtesy of Gizmodo. Scientists create injectable foam to repair degenerating bones. Uh, that reminds me. Oh, yes? Does it remind It does. I don't know if you saw this. This was like two weeks ago. Um, so there's this, I, I guess it's a tool, you would call it, that had been used by the U.S. military for at least a decade for, um, for I guess, dressing combat wounds to, to prevent bleeding. As, as you know, there could be like one to four hours of transport back to a hospital we did actually cu- yeah yeah. Uh, yeah okay it's basically a, a plug that i i think holds for four hours and now it's and it's like it's like those things that you put in water and it turns into a dinosaur almost it's essentially like it's, yeah yeah expands. yeah now, now it's approved and like er units all over the country have them that's crazy it's gonna, it's gonna save so many lives that's awesome. really cool yeah uh, so this is a an injectable foam uh, developed uh, in France. They've they've developed this self-setting foam that can repair defects in bones and assist growth. Eventually, this advanced biomaterial could be used to quickly regenerate bone growth and treat degenerative diseases such as osteoporosis. By the way, this story sent in by Nolan Fellows. Thank you, uh, Nolan. To, uh, via probablyscience at gmail.com. Uh, injectable calcium phosphate cements, CPCs, have been around for nearly 100 years and they're frequently used in orthopedics and traumatology as bone substitutes during surgery. These biomaterials allow surgeons to fix and harden defective bones in situ with relative ease and flexibility. What's more, they're biocompatible, self-setting, and non-toxic. But as James Urquhart reports in Chemistry World, scientists haven't been able to introduce macroporosity into these materials, which means these injectable cements don't have pores or cavities larger than 50 nanometers, and this makes it difficult to treat bone degeneration or to strengthen cancellous bone, a porous, flexible, and spongy tissue that gets progressively weaker once osteoporosis sets in. Now Pierre Weiss and his colleagues at the University of Nantes, I don't know how to say French things, uh, probably it's just Nantes, 
or something, uh, have achieved an important breakthrough in this area. By applying a sophisticated hydrogen as a foaming agent to create air bubbles in the mixture, the researchers have created an effective macroporous self-setting CPC. The results of their work appears in the latest edition of Acta Biomaterialia. The key of the breakthrough was in applying a silenized hydrogel as a foaming agent. As James Urquhart explains, previously the team had attempted to improve the mechanical properties of CPC by adding a silicon HPMC hydrogel. <laughs> this is so jargon heavy. It's very jargon. <laughs> I'm, really I'm going to skip ahead. Okay, okay. Oh, yes, I yes, mean, yes, like yes. We get, it's... But the idea is that they wanted to introduce porosity uh, to this thing that... Uh, it wasn't um how do i summarize this without going into all the lingo yeah um the team made the foam by putting that thing i referred to earlier and cpc solutions in separate syringes then pumping air into the cpc syringe both syringes were then joined by a connector and plunged to rapidly mix the solutions in air which formed a homogeneous foam and uh, they said we know that both biomaterials are biocompatible separately but we didn't know how the body react to the combination of both of them to find an answer and also to test the biofunctionality of the foam, they conducted preliminary in vivo tests by making tiny defects in the thigh bones of two live rabbits and injected the foam into the cavities. Their follow-up tests showed that new bone did indeed form at the implant sites with no toxic effects, and the researchers, researchers would like to use the foam to treat certain bone defects and diseases, so the next step will be to determine the proof of concept in animal models. Kind of cool. Pretty sweet. Porous bone substitutes, injectable foams. It does sound like that. There's a couple of sentences in there that sound like someone writing a film script has paid a scientist to give them a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Tell me all your science words. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to create an effective microporous self-setting CPC. And fast. <laughs> That's when Tara Reid takes off her professor glasses to address the right. camera. <laughs> right. What was a Tara Reid Morgan movie Freeman blasts through the door. Have you seen the movie where she's a professor of something? No, Tara that Reed sounds so the, unbelievable. The, the best, the best. Uh, what is that movie? Academic casting of all time. I think it's a oh horror movie from like 15 years ago. Oh, that's hilarious. Yep. Well, I think that's it for this week. Um, do you have any shows coming up that you want to let the listeners know about, Ryan? Uh, yeah. If you're in LA um, on Tuesday, I'm um, doing a longer set uh, next Tuesday, whatever that date is. <laughs> I don't know. What is that, 19th? Uh, Something like that, January 19th at Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. 19th Uh, it is, yes. Yeah, at 8 o'clock. I'm doing a half hour, which is on the longer end for sets in town. Um, And then for stuff on the road, it's on my website, uh, ryanconnorcomedy.com. Ryanconnor.com is hardcore porn. Um, It is, yeah. I remember that was the first set I saw you do, was you describing how you share your name with... Uh, a famous porn actress. I do, I do. I get. Uh, can I can I share a bit of fun real quick? I just I just went to ryanconnor.com and uh, it's a very tasteful landing page. Well, it's not instantly hard. Yeah, wait till you dig in, man. Okay, I'm gonna dig in. Go ahead. Um, so I get a uh, click the dig in button. Yep, dig I, in. I receive Digging. fan mail that was intended for her all the time from people who just guessed. My email is just ryanconnor gmail, and so. I, I mean, I've probably received 30 of them over the years, and some of them are really funny. Um, I've always most wanted- come from South America. <laughs> um, and one time I got one from a federal inmate, which I did not accept. Um, so anyway, these keep, keep coming in. And then I just received this one. Uh, I'm on the wrong... P- uh, where is it? You should, you should set up a blog where you post fan mail for... Porn star fan mail, dude. I I used to, 
And then... Uh, it does go to show, by the way, how much... If you just get... The fraction you get as just a wrong typing, a wrong... Someone just guessing incorrectly what your email is. The amount of bullshit actually, the actual women who do porn must constantly get. Oh email my god! Right? Be constant. Yeah. All right, I found it. So this is an actual. Uh, this is this is a message I recently got. I actually got this message on Christmas morning. Uh, please, Ryan, I have a big dick and I need to use it. Can I come to California and fuck with you? Fuck now, with you. That, fuck with you. So that's one of the most direct ones that I've received. Now, my, but my favorite part of this one is uh, I don't think this one was meant for the point. <laughs> People want to fuck with you. Checking this is just a last comic standing phase, a uh, fan or other. I guess I don't know about his family and like uh, like something about the State of the Union. <laughs> and, like, did and did just, his family know how large his dick is and how underused it currently is? I don't. Should I let them know? I feel I feel like I'm overstepping if I do that. Maybe it'd be like, hey, someone needs to use this guy's dick because he's currently. Th- thinking about traveling interstate just yeah, to... I mean, don't make him buy a plane ticket. He's just trying to use his dick. Yeah, yeah. I hear it's enormous. Uh, By the way, it might be worth revisiting RyanConnor.com because it looks like she has redirected her efforts towards music. Have you listened it's hilarious. to any yes. of the sample they tracks? They are so bad. She goes are by they? her real name, D- Debbie something. While you play that, I'll just say, so she was a, a porn star from about 90... Two until about seven years ago, and then she stopped and she put out an EP. I think it was three or four tracks, and then she just got back like heavy into the anal game, <laughs> um, like six months ago. Godfather style. I try to get out, but they keep putting me back. I, I I just passed her in the Google searches, and then she got back in the game. And like I don't stand a chance. Like if you if you search my name on Twitter, it's nothing but. Like close-ups of anal penetration, which when you were on uh, people who were then googling your name, I love it without any idea of what was about to. I know, I know, <laughs> it's great, it's great. Well, that's why I, I kept getting messages and tweets from from people like, "Hey, uh, you're not gonna believe this, but uh, there's a porn star with your name." I'm like, "Well, wait till the finals. I talk about that." And then I did a, I did like a five and a half minute set, like going through one of the emails and all that shit. And I, I, they cut out the whole email part, I guess, for time, just because you know you don't, yeah. y- you can't show all that. But uh, I wish they would have aired that because it would have, I, nothing like that's been on primetime network TV. <laughs> 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 I, I did a little more Googling beyond her site, which her site is now clean and is about her music. That's hilarious. Uh, but it doesn't mean everything else is gone. And uh, yeah, I think this, what I'm seeing right now could be finger cuffs. I think this is what you yeah, would call yeah, this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And or an A little frame. rotisserie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I bought Chinese finger cuffs once. <laughs> yeah. No, Matt. No. <laughs> it's a little different. I think it's a little different. I, I got... Uh, the actual, I mostly out of curiosity as to how they worked. Like someone was selling them on eBay for. <laughs> oh, you never had those growing up? No. You mean in the them. age of eBay, you got them? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it was like one of my favorite things as a kid. It makes no. It doesn't seem like it should work. Yeah. Yet it traps your fingers forever. Yeah, man. You got a friend for life if you <laughs> yeah. catch him in one of those. Yeah, that's another. When I used to live with Nick, who's already mentioned in this episode, wait, he just remembers the day house where he saw me checking the post and just going oh good my chinese finger cuffs have arrived <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be 
some kind of technology that's been repurposed for some biomedical use, right? For like arterial stents or something. It seems like that that kind of structure where like mm-hmm. a cylinder with the the weaves going diagonally in both directions. Right. So as it's wider and as it's pulled apart, it gets narrower. So the, right. yeah, yeah. So as you put your fingers in, then as you pull them out, it sort of. They <laughs> <laughs> figured everything out. <laughs> Ah, uh, his fingers. He's helpless. Trap him. <laughs> I'd I'm love sure to think that, like the done... Chinese police. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know someone's done like a Chinese Miami Vice. Where oh, man. Arrest. That would be a, a, a great, like, uh, you know, detective show, China Justice. And it's it's just a cop catching people with <laughs> yeah. finger traps. Behind their back, you just got two fingers together. <laughs> Is this racist, guys? I don't think it is. No, I don't, I don't think, think it so. is. I'm I not sure, it, though. Well, it it's depends whether it's... There? I wouldn't be surprised if... And I. this is one of these ones where I know we Google and we check a lot of stuff, but this one I actually almost don't want to fact check. I would not be surprised if it has never had any association right. with China. Right. None at all. Yeah. And it's just one of those ones where in a whatever novelty shop started to sell them first, yeah. it was just... Well, say it's from the Orient. Right, right. <laughs> Ancient Chinese secret. Right, right. Yeah. The words just the words just work. It's yeah. it's like urban legend sex acts that are attached to cities and countries. It's like no, it's not like Arabian goggles that are really like <laughs> this popular sex act on has, the Arabian uh, Peninsula. Has just, anybody? What is it about the city of Cleveland yeah. that, is so... <laughs> that just makes them steam? <laughs> I don't think the Shreveport caber toss is actually possible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Sioux City Car Wash is... An, 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 Sioux City Car Wash? Is that real? Uh, in college, a bunch of my friends just decided to make up a bunch of new ones. And the, Sioux City. My favorite names were, um, yeah, Shreveport Caber Toss and Sioux City Car Wash. Uh, I'll tell you what they are off air. And listeners, if you want to email in, maybe I'll email you what they are, but I'm not going to... We talked We talked about this on an old episode, how... Um, also, Wilkes, in- Wilkes-Barre Log Flume. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, in Britain... Uh, Actually, what what would you call the action of uh, the thing you do? uh, It's a sort of playground torture of uh, twisting someone's wrist between the two fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah, Indian burn. Indian rug burn. Uh, burn. And in Britain, it's a Chinese burn. Okay. Just picked a different group of people to be inflicting that kind of pain. It's the same thing as like... Irish exit and in England it's like what's it or it's a French exit in England or or, or sometimes yeah. we say Irish exit or do you know what I'm it talking could be about a, or a Dutch thing or probably, a du- like because yeah. British hate the Dutch and yeah. then whichever country you're yeah. annoyed with and then also what you call telephone the whispering from one <laughs> yeah. person to another and the message changing over time in Britain that is Chinese, Chinese whispers, whispers. Chinese which whispers. doesn't make sense. Because I I have a Chinese brother and he cannot whisper. Of course you do. It's such a li- it, you can't be quiet. It's speaking I, I, any I, Chinese dialect. I can't believe we got this far in the podcast and now we're already like saying goodbyes and we haven't talked about yeah. your 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 up your, your bizarre uh, multiracial yeah. family. We were just talking about it at Christmas. You know, I have two Vietnamese brothers too who have Vietnamese wives too. And we we're just talking about how loud it is. It was my, my mom went to Vietnam for a month too and she's like. It's like you're on a jetway the whole time. Like it, it's it's so loud. It's just constant. Well, also Chinese. I, I don't know about Vietnamese, but I know Chinese is a tonal language. Vietnamese so, is yeah. So the, so the pitch of the yeah. determines meaning. Yeah, yeah. So unlike in in English, where the only thing changing the pitch of a word does is change it from a statement to a question or an exclamation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Chinese, that completely can change it from meaning table. 
or or the or a verb to run or whatever. It's just completely like, different words. Yeah. yeah. Depending on whether you go up or down it, or straight in the. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess these up, but there's ma ma and ma. One is mom, one is cow, and the other one is I, I can't even remember what the other one is, but it's unrelated to moms and cows. And, right. And they're both it's the both the same two letters just with a different. I can't remember what the the symbols are called. That so, so what is the that. makeup of your family? The so all right. So my um, I have one biological brother. Um, he's white, and I have one half brother through my dad and stepmom, who's white. And then I have two step brothers from my my stepdad's first marriage, uh, who are black. My stepdad's black. I have uh, four adopted brothers who are black, um, and they were. Um, half siblings they have the same mother and different dads and uh we adopted all four of them at the same time and then i have two vietnamese brothers and a chinese brother and we we also adopted or not adopted we it's called sponsoring like god i don't even know how many maybe somewhere between four and seven vietnamese families so actually i could just count them one four Five, five Vietnamese families, which means you're, you're basically like adopting a family almost. Right, so, right. So like they would come and they would stay with us for like the first couple weeks until we found a house uh, that, okay. that worked for them and then find them jobs and help them in school and stuff. But they were always very studious and wouldn't need help after about two or three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. though they would come to the States speaking no English. Like this was, you know, from, you know, late 80s. Um, all, you know when they weren't like pre-internet, pre-getting a hold. Yeah, of Yeah, and they weren't learning American English movies. in schools there, and they would get here and just—I mean, we're just so committed to academics that after a couple of weeks, like, good. <laughs> like, like from from this one family, I think there were three valedictorians. They, they came shit. out. Two of them were, were twins, and they they split valedictorianship. Wow! And then one other brother was too. So, how big is the entire? If you if you talk about all these people. Total, all the well, adopted brothers and sponsored families. How big's your family? I don't, I don't, I don't really count all those, all the families as as, as part of the family. Even though okay, I mean, then, then adopted siblings are siblings in total. So, so I have, a, so I have eleven uh, brothers. Wow, I have eleven brothers, ranging in age from uh, the youngest. Now I think he's nineteen, and the oldest is forty three. And every brother had eleven wives, and every wife. <laughs> so divorced, t- died, beheaded, oh, yeah. divorced, married. So in two years, you all will be old enough to yeah. walk into a bar together and answer the age-old question. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I actually used to do a joke about that. I was like, the, I mean, the gist of it was like, people don't believe me when I tell a story because like the beginning of every story sounds sounds like a, like a, like a racist email forward, you know? <laughs> I'll check out Ryan's first uh, Last Comic Standing set for a a great bit about all of the brothers yeah yeah it's, it's, it's on there yeah and connor we'll is spelled with an er if you're uh again, again the actual yeah, url is ryan connor comedy or the porn ryan connor comedy comedy.com yeah c-o-n-n-e-r ryan connor comedy yeah. i also have a podcast can i mention it yes Heck yeah caligula's grotto i feel like this you have the only audience who can handle the spelling of that everyone else is like what and we're like yeah it's a terrible name all right <laughs> <laughs> we're stuck with it what is the premise of Caligula? Uh, it's just fun. It's, it's it's goofy. Like I mean, I I, I do some characters, and I do this one called uh, Warren Thibodeau, Country Lawyer, where I take on a different Florida case each week, and uh, and, and I provide defense against the state. <laughs> um, 
Uh, we do uh, a segment every now and then called um, Mike McGarry Apologies, which is Mike McGarry is a guy with a really deep voice from uh, Boys to Men, and he's always apologizing for like devastating things in the relationship. <laughs> and the version I do is like, uh, we we'll just have a Boys to Men song playing, and I'm apologizing for like more realistic shit, uh, which I can't even think of any offhand, but they're funny <laughs> if you listen to it. And uh, the past few weeks, I've been doing traffic and weather on the eights also, which is a fun <laughs> thing to do on a podcast. <laughs> Um, listen to that. Go and do like, don't don't start at today's episode. I wasn't a fan of it. Don't start at one nineteen or the one that I called uh, the subject. Uh, the title of it is C plus at best. <laughs> but, but I stand by the others. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. As before, any questions, comments, clarifications, you can email us probablyscience at gmail You can also tweet us at probablyscience. Find us at Facebook uh, slash probablyscience. Uh, you can also on probablyscience.com find the PayPal donate button. We really appreciate all of the donors who help us keep this thing going and support us for what we're doing. Uh, you can also find the Amazon shopping link. Do that mm-hmm. and spread the word. Write nice things about us on iTunes. Uh, review, rate, subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Ryan, thank you so much for joining you're us. You're welcome. Can I say one more thing? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, right, I'll uh, see you guys at the local pantomime. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dick Whittington. And, and also, I don't know if this goes out in time, it probably won't. But if you if it does go out in time this weekend, Sketchfest, we're going to be there. Uh, Thursday, be, the 14th, Thursday, so 24 hours from right now. 24 hours from right now. If you're in San Francisco, and also I'm doing other shows at Sketchfest, I'm going to be doing Setlist and Prompter. Uh, and I think one other show. So go and see that. Comedy Nation, that's the other one I'm doing. So go to those. But um, thank you so much. It's nice to be back. Happy 2016, everyone. Yes. Long live Bowie.